emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Veris Age Institute colleague. Today's show, folks, we're going to be talking about the placebo and nocebo effects. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Feeling great, Ron. Took my pills this morning. All is well. You know, Ed, I hate to tell you this, but I know you take blood pressure medication. I take it too. It may very well be nothing but a placebo. Uh, It's very possible. It's very possible. Um, This is just a fascinating topic. So before we dive in, we got to start where we always do. You got to give us the etymology of the words. They're very simple. It, it won't, the first one, placebo, means I shall please, and the other one means I shall harm. <laughs> so, right. yeah. uh, pretty pretty straightforward. And the, 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 I think that it's a uh, it, it's actually in a, a so one place in the Latin rite mass. You, the the word placebo is is in the mass itself. So mm. I'm not quite sure but my, my my dad if he were around would say you know it's the eucharistic prayer number seven or whatever i don't know but yeah right. it's so it's a, it's an ancient word it's been around a long long time the meaning of it as for what we take it for today is is relatively new but it's still a fascinating co- topic as you said well you know from what i gathered the in the 14th century sham mourners were hired to wail and sob for the deceased at funerals and mm-hmm. the, yeah, that's yep. I shall please. And in se- and in 1785, the word appeared for the first time in the new medical dictionary, and it first appeared in English in 1832. The other thing yeah. I ran 1832 across 1832 as as the meaning the meaning of placebo as we understand is, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did find it here. It's from the vespers vespers of the office of the dead. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> and the first clinical trials were conducted in 1832 in Russia. And that came out of bad medicine. Wow. Um, that came out of bad medicine, uh, the book by David Wooten that we did an entire show on show number 178, um, which was just a great, great book. But um, yeah. And, and one of the, earliest effects that was documented was in 1794 the italian physician guy named gerby he rubbed worm secretions on aching on an aching tooth and the patients went pain-free for one year and you know obviously there's no <laughs> no medical reason for this other than you know the placebo effect so really interesting um the other thing that's just amazing about it, when you dive into some of the studies, and, and these, this placebo effect is multidimensional. It's not one thing. It's many things. And we'll talk about that. But 
the fascinating thing, Ed, is the placebo effect can be from anywhere from 15% to 72% in some of these trials. It's like a huge fudge factor, isn't it? It's like it is. This, remember this big, how we made, well, made you know, it could of, be this. <laughs> remember how we made fun of, uh, you know, Taylor, Frederick Taylor in the first show because he had the 20% fudge factor? This is, this is massive. It can be incredible. Yes, yeah. So. Um, yeah, it, it's really big. And, and what, what I find fascinating about it is that, like I said, it's multifaceted. It, 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 it does seem to, to have not only the, the, the mental uh, cures, but also some real actual physical cures to it as well. And I, I never really knew this until I started studying this a couple of years ago, but we, we actually check the e efficaciousness of the medication against placebos. It's not like we just try it against nothing. We try it against placebo and it has to have, I forget what the factor is, but it has to show that it's more effective because the dang placebo is effective. It's so effective. And we've known this for a long time. And this is something else that David Wooten points out in bad medicine. He said too bad that, you know, bloodletting, purging and emetics weren't tested against the placebo effect <laughs> because, you know, they probably would have done less harm if they didn't engage in those things because those were harmful things to do to people, right? Bloodlet, all these other things. Whereas if you just let nature run its course, they probably would have had a better success rate. Yep. Yeah, that's just true. So it, it's 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 good that we do compare against it. But I just found that aspect of it really interesting that we still have to check ourselves against the placebo. Absolutely, and you know another another guy that I really like, uh, Theodore Dalrymple, um, whose real name is Anthony Malcolm Daniels, but he writes under the Theodore Dalrymple name. Uh, and he's a doctor. He was a, a British doctor, worked in UK prisons. He's written many books, uh, and and I love him because he's just a beautiful author. But he's, you know, with respect to these words and other words, he says, you know, doctors hide their ignorance with impressive-sounding Latin terminology. <laughs> and another <laughs> one I love is the word idiopathic, which is, you know, the cause of the disease that's unknown. That's when doctors just have no clue what's going on. House House used to say that all the time. That's, that's one of the reasons it's stuck in my head. Idiopathic. Oh, idiopathic. Okay, that's pretty funny. And then just just to quick do the definition, as I mentioned, nocebo means I I shall harm. And this is this is when the exact opposite happens that that a patient is given some kind of an inert substance, but yet reports a negative or worsening of the symptoms rather than uh, getting getting better. And this is also a powerful effect too. So when you you know you factor all of this this stuff in, there there really is just this this huge portion of stuff that we just don't understand about how the human mind is related to healing and how it varies from person to person and even culture to culture. Yeah, I, I, there's so much around this and there's so many experts that have been studying this. One guy ran across because Rabbi Lappin had mentioned him as Dr. Lou Thomas, Lewis Thomas, and he was an American physician and, and you know dean of Yale Medical School, and he studied placebos forever, and he would regularly tell a story, and I read one of his articles, um, 
where, you know, one physician would regularly rid his patients of warts simply by painting a harmless purple dye on them. It, it just shows you that the unconscious mind, you know, this is like mind over matter <laughs> or mind be, it can change matter in some respects. <clears throat> and that's mm -hmm. what's going on with, with some of these placebo effects. It's a psychological phenomenon that actual has had this has physical manifestations and that that's what's so intriguing about it to me yeah it's 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 the your mind or your consciousness that's creating reality uh it, it's just really really interesting um in fact he he talks about uh, brings us back to the 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 donald hoffman I'm sorry. I think we we got a delay here today, Ron. So it brings me back to the Donald Hoffman book that I mentioned as part of my you know best books of 2019, which was the case against reality and that consciousness create, creates reality. I think it's it, it may be manifesting itself in the placebo effect. Yeah, no, that's right. And we do have a delay. Ed. I noticed that, but uh, so we'll try and work around that. But so, you know, Lewis also points out there's a great article on, on Cosmic Core. It's Article 241. Uh, Greg, so you can post this link, but you know, these effects are just really interesting. Like large pills work better than small pills. Colored pills work better than white pills. An injection is more powerful than a pill. And, and here is the strangest thing I've come across. Dan Ariely talks about this and other articles I've read on this talk about it. Placebo surgery, Ed, where the doctor just goes in it does the incision, you know, puts you out, <clears throat> but does nothing. It has <laughs> some of the same effectiveness as people that have gone through the actual surgery. And these studies caused all sorts of controversy because, you know, surgeons obviously think, you know, <laughs> cutting, healing, right? Um, some of it may be just a placebo effect. And we're talking like knee surgery, some types of knee surgery and some type of heart surgeries. This is just fascinating stuff. I would go go bizarre more than fascinating, but yeah, that's that's amazing. I I do remember that now that you mentioned about the Ariely stuff and the the uh, the people getting just the incision made and believing that they've been cured of stuff. It's just just really amazing. Yeah, he talks about that in one of his chapters in the book, predictably irrational. And of course, another issue that we're going to have to deal with is how does price play into the placebo effect? And, and I might say other things too play into this from a business perspective that I think are, are really interesting, but there's just so much to say on this topic. I mean, the more I started reading about it, the more I wanted to read because it, it's really fascinating when you dig into the nuances of the various levels of the placebo effect. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about the the rest of the show, Ron. Is how how can we apply this to business? Because I think there are some far-reaching implications of of this that we can use it, it, from a very practical standpoint. You wouldn't wouldn't think that that's the case. That's something from the 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 medical, but it's really, as you said, it's more psychological. And look, we we've seen this manifest itself in lots of different ways, including the process of of chunking, which uh, we'll talk about perhaps in the next segment as part of one of the ways that I've personally implemented a placebo type effect in the stuff that I've done inside my organization and, and even share that with others who've come to my classes. 
But right now, I want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes and previews to upcoming shows, as well as our archive page to all 280-plus shows that we've previously done. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back everybody we're talking about the placebo and the nocebo effect which uh ed i just learned about that pretty recently i think within the last year or so the idea that if you're told of harmful things that could happen that they're more likely to like uh, one of the famous examples is lumbar punctures. Uh, doctors will tell you when they give you a lumbar puncture, this may cause a headache. <laughs> and, then, and when mm -hmm. this, this is tested more times than not, the person gets a headache, um, which, which is just really interesting <laughs> compared to when they don't tell them and just do the lumbar puncture. Now it also brings up all sorts of ethical issues and maybe we can deal with that in the next segment or something, but they're, there are some major ethical issues with this, isn't there, on both placebo and nocebo effects? No, absolutely. I mean, and, and just the, the one that you just mentioned, it, it, what we want to, to have is we want to have the most amount of information. In fact, I think it's part of the canons that the, the doctors must tell you what's, what's about to happen. I think doctors have become very, very good at that over, over the years, probably for lots of reasons that we don't really want to know about because they didn't do it. But you know, here's a, here's a great example of it would be in, in, in many cases be better for them not to tell you, hey, you might get a headache from this and just allow you to get the headache at, rather than plant that in your mind that you're going to get it. And wh where do you come down on the ethics of that one, Ron? Where do you where do you think? I would say 
well, we probably shouldn't tell them. I mean, I suppose if it's, hey, you're going to headache and a headache is a sign that, oh, maybe there's a problem and you're going to die. So let me know if you have a headache. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, right? I. Yeah, this is so complicated because you know how the, the drug companies, when they do advertisements on TV or even when you read like a magazine advertisement, it'll it'll list all the side effects. Well, the nocebo effect <laughs> might be contributing to those side effects, right? It, they just might mm -hmm. be on themselves. And one doctor, uh, in fact, it was this Dalrymple guy, he said, well, maybe the thing to do here is rather than telling them they're going to get a headache is when you, you have them sign something, you know, for the procedure, that that informs them in writing what the side effects are because it seems to be less of an effect when people read it compared to when their doctor tells them mm. because the Which, doctor, the social construct of the doctor, especially in the white lab coat, it's a big, big deal. It's a big part of this effect as well. How you take a pill, the social environment that you're in, if you see other people getting relief, you know, all of these things play a role in this effect. If you put it in writing, most people aren't going to read it. So my, that, that, that might be a part of it, too, because there, there's ethical issues around that. I don't know about you, but when you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm put in the, the position of, of signing all of this stuff in a, in a medical environment, they, they basically tell you, and this is what this says, and this is what this says. I don't read it all, do you? No. You might. I, no, no, no. I mean, that's informed consent, and that's the whole ethical question. Can, can us lay people really have informed consent, <laughs> you know, because we're not educated physicians. How can we possibly have right. informed consent? So, I mean, that by itself. But just, just to expand on some of these more um, uh, different levels of effects of the placebo, um, there's a great article in all places. This is not my go-to place, but this article is really interesting out of Vox. It's called The Weird Power of the Placebo mm. Effect Explained. It's from July 7th, 2017, it was, and it's by Brian Resnick. And here's the, here's the fascinating thing, Ed. Over the last several years, doctors noticed a mystifying trend. Fewer and fewer new pain drugs were getting through double-blind placebo control trials. This wasn't because the drugs were getting worse but the placebo response is growing bigger over time, but only in the US, only in the United States. And, and this isn't just pain medicine we're talking about. This is antidepressants, antipsychotic medicine as well. Uh, it's, and they, you know, this guy says it's the most interesting phenomenon in all of sciences um, because it's the interface of biology and psychology. And uh, he points out, now he goes to a couple different experts at Harvard, this one guy, Ted Kapchick at Harvard, who's like one of the world's leading experts on the placebo, in fact. In fact, I wanted to see if maybe Russ interviewed this guy. So Russ interviewed somebody on Econ Talk about the placebo. Effect. Russ Roberts on Econ Talk, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I just forget who it was. Um, but he said, you know, this guy said that, you know, this, is, this effect is, is the least paid attention to but then there's another expert at NIH, a retired guy, Frank Franklin Miller, who said, it's not just one thing. It's kind of a loose family of different phenomena that are just yoked together by this term placebo. He said, sooner or later, we'll get rid of the term and talk more specifically about each of its components. 
And this article lays out six different effects. And I'll, I'll just, I'll just go through them because they're pretty quick. I can get through them pretty quick, but here's, here's one of them. It's called regression to the mean, you know, the natural course of an illness, right? Symptoms may get better all, all on their own. This was the funny, you know, there's old wives tales. I don't know if they're true or not, but you know, the, the panic mother, your kid's wailing and got a fever maybe and calls the doctor and the doctor says, okay, do, you know, do the following three things, right? It's kind of like your chunking thing. And, and one of those may be, you know, chicken soup or whatever. He just knew that the kid was going to get better in a couple of days. And he always end the call by saying, oh, and if he doesn't get better, then, you know, let's, let's get him in here for an appointment. But um, the kid would always get better. Um, it, it's just time itself. You know, the old line that nature provides the cure, the doctor gets the fee. Um, the second one is just confirmation bias. We hope to get better. That's why we're going to treatment in the first place or going to the doctor in the first place. So that will change your focus. You'll start looking for signs that you're getting better after you pop a pill or after a doctor or a nurse comes in and gives you some type of treatment. There's the expectations and learning. We, we, when we take an active drug, we, we often feel better and we revisit that memory whenever we take a drug. It's kind of like Pavlov's dog to some extent, you know, salivating just when he hears the bell because he associates that with food. Um, and, and there's lots of different ways they study that and, and they've proven this effect. Um, and then uh, the, the other thing that was really interesting about painkillers, when they were administered by a nurse, they had twice the, heat, the, the pain relief effect when uh, compared to when they were distributed unknown by just a hidden pump robot pump that was hooked up to the patient and the patient didn't know when they were getting the pain medication uh or not compared to when they saw the nurse come in and and you know inject them um so that was interesting another one is just pharmacological conditioning this is just you know <laughs> we, we expect a pill of any type to to provide us with relief whether it's over-the-counter cold medicine or, or whatever, but especially a pill that, you know, is, it comes in a bottle and has got a, maybe a brand name on it. Maybe it was expensive. We can talk about the pricing as well. Um, and so those, uh, and, and then the last two was social learning. So when we see other patients get relief, there's a greater placebo response. So if you're in a group that's being treated at the same time and you see relief, that's going to have a big impact on you. And then there's a, just a human connection here. And he, they bring up the example of the irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, which is a hard condition for doctors to do anything about, even, you know, to diagnose, let alone uh, try and cure, um, because, you know, sometimes it's just all in the head. And they took 260 participants. They split them into three groups. One group received sham acupuncture from a practitioner who took the extra time to ask the patient about their life struggles, right? And then he'd say very empathetic things like, oh, I can understand how difficult IBS must be for you. And then a second group got sham acupuncture. And what that means is they don't actually break the skin with the needle. Um, from a practitioner who did minimal talking, a third group was just put on a waiting list uh, for treatment. And as you can imagine, the one that got the most attention and was, had the most empathetic doctor, or the doctor that talked to them the most, had a dramatically better result with irritable bowel syndrome. 
And these are just all placebos. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty interesting. And I, I found something similar that was, was called confounding factors. And they mentioned this regression to the mean and these two different response biases, but the, the others that were mentioned in this article that I read, and I thought this was, was interesting because you would think that they'd be able to filter out for them, but apparently not always. And that is additional treatments that, that may be going on at the same time and causing these effects. I think that's, that's one thing that I know we don't understand is the interactions of lots of different medications. And especially when you have someone who's elderly, I know I went, went through this w- with my dad. You know, sometimes they're, they're taking six, seven, eight different things in a day. And there's no studies done on the interaction between some of these things and what, what these chemicals could cause when in combination with one another. So I think that's, that's also a possibility. And then this other one I thought was really interesting too. They mentioned that there, there, there is potential reporting bias in this. With I, I thought that was, I thought that was strange, considering that it should be blind in some way. But I, but I, I guess that there's still uh, the experimenters themselves sometimes do know who is and who is not on the placebo, so that there might might be some effects on that as well. And then the, the last one is just if, if in some some cases the non-inert ingredients in the placebo might have might have an unintended plus plus effect. You know, maybe it's just that little bit of added sugar or whatever it is in the pill that consider that is helpful to that particular person. Yeah, no, I I, I came across all that as well, and and it's just really interesting. I mean, the the, the big takeaway from this is we don't know much about this. I mean, for as much <laughs> as we've learned, we we there's still much we don't know. I mean. They, this guy talked about in the box article, another way to think about this, all of these effects is placebos tweak our experience of the symptoms, but not their underlying causes. Like, uh, and this, this cap mm-hmm. capture guy from Harvard says in all the objectively measurable illnesses like cancer, even heart disease, there are components of it that are not objectively measurable. And it's those symptoms that are the prime targets to treat with placebo. So even placebos can help, like you said, even when there's, you know, when you're dealing with like side effects from other types of treatment. Um, but it, placebo can only help symptoms that can be modulated by the mind. Our, mm-hmm. Like our bodies don't produce cancer-killing chemicals. So there doesn't seem to be a way to, to bring about a placebo for cancer. Although some claim to have seen it, you know. Like thinking mm-hmm. about your tumor decreasing actually brings it on, but that you know this is just one of the things they don't know much about. Um, but but placebos can actually release like opioids in the brain and other chemical responses that may reduce pain or other types of effects like depression or or whatever. Um, but you know uh, even even with like Parkinson's when they put people on Parkinson's disease on treat them with placebos um, after a certain period of days, you know, they give them the real medicine and then they give them placebos for a few days. They still see the same beneficial effects. So it's just, it's just really, really interesting. And one of the other things I'll, I'll mention this is that, cause I think we'll probably try to do some practical application of this in this, in the third and fourth segments, but that was along these lines is a, a situation in France, kind of a funny story that, that happened. And, and this still, is is in effect today is that sometimes the newness of a drug seems to have an impact on the placebo effect. So the fact that they're saying that this is a new treatment when you're checking it against a placebo uh, ha- has this. In fact, there's, there's, the story go- goes that uh, 
it was uh, elm bark had a good reputation and was taken as a powder extract elixir and even in bass it was good for the nerves chest and stomach and it was a real panacea but it's st- the fad started to die and one of this guy's patients asked him if it might not be a good idea to take some and he said take it madam hurry up while it still cures <laughs> Well, this is great. And unfortunately, we're up against our next breaks. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We'll post full show notes, get these articles up that we've been mentioning and some of the books at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the placebo and the nocebo effects. And Ed, just to kind of put a cap on this, uh, another source cited, another doctor cited in this article by Invox, she points out there's a difference between belief and expectation. And this is really interesting as well. So while patients may not believe the pill will work, they they still may unconsciously expect it to. There's just something about popping a pill or getting a shot or, or whatever it might be. I think, you know, Russ Roberts in Econ talked, he, he talked to that doctor about that back procedure where they were just, you know, opening up the container and letting the patient smell the cement or whatever for back pain and applying it. And it was nothing but a topical thing. And, and it, it created the placebo effect, basically. So there, there's definitely that deep-seated conditioned memory for what it means to get treated or take a pill that that's going on. And, uh, the, uh, the other doctor, another doctor pointed out that he said, look, we have a tendency, and this goes back to systems thinking 
and I love this, we have a tendency to view illness as external to us, but in, in, in the true universe, they're, they're truly inseparable. We cannot make a distinction between health and disease. We are essentially dynamic processes and patterns that are, norm, that are no more analyzable into parts than our electrons. So, you know, here we are trying to atomize everything again and look at things in isolation. And yet, you know, there's more to us than just the sum of our parts and, and the diseases in us and things like that. So I just, I find that the systems thinking so applicable across the board into these different areas. Yeah. And, and we, and we got the wrong theory or at least an incomplete theory. Exactly. And so let's talk about how this can apply because Obviously, this has got major pricing implications, and this is something that I really enjoyed about Dan Ariely's book, and we, we did have Dan on the show. I'm sorry, Greg, I don't have the show number for you on that, but uh, in chapter 10 of Predictably Irrational, he talks about, it's, it's titled, The Power of Price, <laughs> Why a 50-Cent Aspirin Can Do What a Penny Aspirin Can't, and he talks about that that experiment where they did where, you know, they brought people in and they gave them a brochure of this. And like you said that, you know, this great new drug, by the way, that's another thing. If the doctor shows great enthusiasm for a treatment or a drug that can have a massive impact because again, that's part of the social environment that we're in when, when we get these treatments. And so they bring these people in and they gave, they gave some of them the, you know, this pill cost 50 cents and another a group, a, you know, brochure that said, oh, it cost a penny and they kind of downplayed it. And of course, the more expensive pill created the greatest pain relief in, in the test subjects. And, and that, how is this different from, you know, a $200 bottle of wine versus a $10 bottle of wine or beer or an expensive restaurant or an expensive couch is more comfortable than, you know, one bought at Ikea or whatever. I mean, the price does have its own placebo effect, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And just what, when you're just thinking about things, like you mentioned, the, the wine is a great example. I, I, I have claimed to say that I can, I can taste the difference between a 30 and a $300 bottle of wine. But I will say this, that there are, I've had some $30 bottle of wines that I've liked more than three. Bottle of wines, so I think Holy that to it to to a certain extent, unless you're the that that sommelier who who's who's been uh, educating or, or or training his palate, as they say, for years and years and years, you're not going to be able to 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 get all that. You're just going to know what you like and you don't like, and and price is a big part of that. As we we've talked about this for years, that high prices also tempt, and this is again one of the powers of offering choices. In that sometimes that in offering the, the choice of something that's that's quite expensive, the one underneath it appears to be better. Of course, that's anchoring. But I think that there's also an element of the placebo effect in that the the person who's coming to you says, well, they, they even have a more expensive choice that I could go to if necessary to to solve my problem. So I, I think there there's an element of having that higher price in there as this temptation, but also a signal. The man, this 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 team of people or this this firm, they're 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 worth this higher price as a, as a placebo effect on down on the food chain. Yeah, you know we we like to say that that value is a feeling; it's not a number, right? The subjective theory of value, 
and and we we acknowledge that definitely price is a number. I mean, ultimately, it's going to be a number. But the other thing I'm starting to think about price ed is it's also a story. It's a story about your firm or your brand or your offering, whatever it is. There is a story wrapped in price. And an, another really interesting test that Ariely did with some colleagues that he talks about in Predictably Irrational um, were they were giving people electric shocks and um, and they would vary them, you know, and then they gave them this, you know, brand new wonder drug that they had already been prompt uh, by reading a brochure about. And this was a $2.50, you know, new pain reliever that was supposed to be great. And, and then they gave some of the other test subjects a 10%, a 10 cent version of it. And after they shocked them for a period of time, then they gave them, you know, the, the, the researcher would come with the lab coat and give them the water and the pill. And then they would shock them again. They'd go into phase two of the experiment. The people that took the 250, and they were both placebos, <laughs> the people, they were a vitamin C basically. The people that took the $2.50 one had 100% pain relief. And the people who took the 10 cent one got 50% 50, 50 of them had pain relief. So even for the cheaper one, there was still a pretty big placebo effect. But the $2.50 one dwarfed it. And that's just amazing to me. It is is truly amazing, and the, the, as you said, the implications are important. But this just leads us back into this: why why offering choices as a professional is so important? Because and if if used correctly, it's the ethical thing to do. Because you could be creating a a placebo effect for you and your organization. Yeah, there, there is no doubt in my mind that that uh, I I think that. One of the main uh, reasons for the efficaciousness of so-called consultants, we're looking at it. Consultants prey on the placebo effect. That's what was wrong. I, I have people. often said that there's, yeah, I've often said that there's that a lot, a lot of that is true. I mean, the, the, there's the standard joke in consulting about it's consultant that, or you ask a consultant, what time is it? And the consultant says, give me your watch and I'll tell you. But there, there is an element of that that's true in that sometimes you have to hear it from somebody outside the organization. And I think to some extent, that's the power of consulting, this ability to at least be perceived as a somewhat neutral third party. And one of the reasons why we've talked about or I've talked about in, in previous consulting shows about the Ford model, uh, findings, operations, uh, finding options, recommendations, decision, and say that you should do everything in your power to avoid making decisions as a consultant, because once you become part of the decision-making process, I think you might lose part of that placebo effect of being perceived as the outsider rather than being inside because now you're, you're making, making decisions. Right. And, and, yeah, and, and that's a good point that an outsider, somebody who's impartial and, you know, sees other firms or other industries mm -hmm. doing whatever it is, that is certainly part of a consultant's mystique as well. But I think there's something alone to a consultant's price that has a big impact. Uh, you know, Peter Drucker used to talk about this. People aren't going to listen to you if you're cheap, but if you're expensive, they're going to hang on your every word. And there's a, there's a mm -hmm. self 
enforcing placebo effect going on there because, hey, I hired this person. They came in. They're, they're giving me this great advice and telling me all these things. I'm going to pay more attention to them. You know, there's confirmation bias. It's, it's kind of the Ikea effect. I made the I, I must have made a good decision to bring this person in because I'm paying a very high price. And, and so I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to believe what they say. And it just all reinforces. And some of it may very well be placebo. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got about a couple minutes before the break, Ron, and I alluded to the, this one earlier and, and how I think that this process called chunking is, a, is part placebo effect as well. So let me describe that. I think we've talked about it on previous shows, but it, it's certainly worth, worth repeating because it's, it's been such a powerful tool for me. I, I use it all of the time, both in my work internally with Sage and then certainly in any work that I'm doing with with folks who are sage partners and I'm, you know, helping them with, with, with different things. And, and that is simply that when, when you, you're delegating some kind of a task to someone, it's much, much better to chunk it down into two or more steps. And this comes from something that I learned from Rory Sutherland, which is related to placebo effect in that drugs. If you give people a set of drugs and say, take the four white pills and then the blue one, they're more likely to complete the course of action if you give it to them as two separate pieces of instruction. So take the four white, then the one blue. And even, you know, even if it has nothing to do with, it's not whether they're placebos or not, but if you break down a task into two, two steps, do this, then that the likelihood that the task gets completed is significantly higher than if it doesn't. Now it's not a, let's throw in another medical term in there, a panacea. It's not a cure-all. It doesn't always work. Once you just break things down, they're automatically going to do it. If, if, I did, if, if it did, I would certainly use it with my kids all the time. But <laughs> what I can tell you is that I found is that it significantly increases the probability that someone is going to complete something that you ask them to do when you break it into more steps. And I, and I think that there's a lot of placebo effect going on there. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, I, I would, I would say that's especially true with accountants, since we love our checklists. You know, give me the three things, and I'll, <laughs> I'll go through the checklist, and I'll make sure that those things get done. You know, very methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing on the price, Ed, even when they, even when they had the exact same brand of, say, like over-the-counter cold medicine. And some of it was sold at full price in the exact same brand, maybe like 25% off or 50% off, you know, like it was on sale. It had an effect on, on, on the, I mean, this is amazing. And it just shows you that we're not just physical creatures. We're not just materialists, right? We've got a spiritual element to us as well. And that's, that's why it can't be measured. That's why this placebo effect is so, confounding in a lot of ways and counterintuitive. Yeah. And if you want to test it out, the best way to do it is, is consider becoming a sponsor of the soul of enterprise to see if your connection to us has any kind of a placebo effect on your organization or your customers organizations. <laughs> uh, we're right now at the top, almost to the court, the top of the hour, but we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me. The email address is ask TSOE at verisage.com. We mentioned out there on Twitter, we had have at, Ask TSOE as our hashtag and Twitter handle. So if you want to contact us, that would be the best way to do it live during the show. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise we're talking about the placebo effect and the nocebo effect here on the soul of Inter- enterprise. And Ron, I have one I wanted to, to talk with you about, and it's very much in the news, not to turn this into a, a free rider Friday segment. And a, a, because I do think it's completely relevant to what we're talking about, but I was at a conference this week and a lot of folks are, first of all, there's a lot of conferences that are canceling right now due to the coronavirus. We did have a couple of people at the conference who were wearing surgical masks. Right. And just the just the standard surgical mask. Not I know there's more there's fancier ones, what is it, N N95s and even some other additional ones that are a lot higher. But the standard surgical mask is not intended to keep you keep you from getting sick. It's to keep the doctor's germs from getting inside you when they're they've got you cut open. Right. And I think a lot of people miss this. However, that said, I do think that there may be something to the surgical mask in terms of a placebo effect in that you think that because you've got this surgical mask on that there's less likelihood that you're get, getting the disease. Now, you could also argue, and I think there's some element of truth to this, that if you have something over your face, it's also less likely that you touch your face with your hands. Right. And you know, that we know is, is definitely going to have an effect. But I just wonder if you think that there's also a potential placebo effect in just wearing the surgical mask. I do. I mean, some of these studies that I was looking at talked about how, you know, our body can produce an immune effect, a stronger immune system or, or dampen it with mm-hmm. the nocebo effect. And yeah, I, I, I don't doubt by donning a mask, you might think that your, your, your immune system is going to be stronger somehow. I, it, that wouldn't okay. surprise me in the least. I was, I was expecting to say that. So now what I want to follow up and then also, and this is practical application, 
Do you think that we have lost something in the world of the professionals in, in terms of the way that we have adopted more of a dress down style? No, I don't know about you. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't worn a tie in probably a decade. Uh, didn't even wear, wear one of my dad's funeral. But do you think that there was something to that back in the day when, when professionals would always definitely dress up? I, I mean, all of society was a little bit more, more fancy. But I think there's, there's, there's some element of this, this show of excess or this show of confidence of nice clothes that might, might have an impact on, on the professions. And have we lost that because that is something that has fallen by the wayside culturally? Ed, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say absolutely. Not only do I think it, I, I, I think there's tangible proof of it. This is something Lappin talks about. You know, clothes are very spiritual and how, how we present ourselves. And, and, you know, and look, I do not lament the, the passing of the suit and tie. I also, I don't even own a tie, okay? <laughs> I mean, if I had to go to a funeral, I'd be in big trouble. I, I hated them. But do I think there's something lost there? Absolutely. Because I think that dressing up and you know, whether you donned a hat like IBM used to make you and Arthur Anderson used to have to wear a fedora, I think, was part of their dress code, uh, the, you know, the IBM white shirts. Yeah, I, I do think that that's part of signaling. It's part of the placebo effect. It's part of building confidence in your customers or the people that you're dealing with. Yeah, I, 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 it's kind of like the, the lab coat the doctor wears. There's a reason they wear them. And there's, of course, a reason House never wore one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a great point. So are there potential substitutes for this? Is there something that, that we, we can do? Because I'm not going back to wearing a tie. So let's just, just withdraw the line right there. Right. So is there something else that we can perhaps do that is that, that, that changes that? I mean, it's certainly still nice clothes, even if you're not wear, wearing a tie, um, that, th that's fine. But are there, there are other things that we can do? Is it, is it just price? I know you mentioned that one, but there, there are other things in your mind that we can do to bring this, this, that placebo effect back. Well, you know, I mean, obviously you can, uh, dress as good as you can without, you know, donning the full suit and all of that. Uh, I, I think the, the equipment you use, uh, I think if, even if in a meeting, it sounds stupid, but even like what you write with, you know, one of the interesting things about Tim Williams is when you're in a, in a conference with him, especially if, if he's in the audience, he, he will take notes with a fountain. He writes with a fountain pen. And I think that just impresses people. You know, I know it's a small, silly little thing, but I think there's, there's an effect there, what you write with mm -hmm. and what you write on, you know, you writing just on the back of a napkin or you writing on a nice, you know, portfolio. I think those types of things do have an impact. Well, can I substitute in my nice fancy new schmancy iPad with my Apple pen? Is that, is yeah. that helpful? Do you think that'll work? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In the technology world, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I just think so much of this is, you know, Rabbi Lappin loves to say we are predominantly spiritual creatures with a physical outfit, <laughs> right? We're souls with a body. Right. Uh, it's our mental state that matters. And, you know, the classic examples I was also thinking about uh, was studying all of these, with studying these both effects was the, the Roger Bannister, the four minute mile. You know, prior mm -hmm. to 1954, nobody thought it could be done. It was, it was a mental blockade. 
Same with climbing Mount Everest, which happened the year before, I think, in 53, when, who was it, Hillary went up? Um, the one Dread Hillary, Hillary yep. was named after, a, right? Even well, if she was born before or something. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just shows you, I mean, dare I say it, but mind over matter or how mind can alter matter. Sounds like a name of a book, Ron. Yeah, even though I didn't, I didn't get into, I didn't get into any of this stuff, and certainly not the consciousness one that your guy Hoffman went into. No, but, no. Oh, uh, right. Well, well, Ron, we've only got a couple of minutes left, and we have a little bit of a dilemma. We cannot decide on a show for next week, so we decided that what we'd like to do is throw out a couple of topics and see what your thoughts are. Maybe uh, hit us up on Twitter, or of course, ask TSOE at Verisage First one I want to th throw out there, Ron, and I'll, I'll let you pick for, from a, from the list that I sent you, is the uh, envy versus and inequality as a combination. Envy and inequality. The show a show on that. So that 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 would be that would be something I'd be interested. in. How about you? What from the list that we talked about? What are you going to add? I, I do love the, there? I do love the envy and equality because I think there's a lot of economics and other things buried in that. I think there are, that's actually two separate shows I would like to do. And we've been talking about that for a while. I'll tell you another really interesting one is the reflections of a recovering cost accountant. Because as I push Reginald, uh, Dr. Reginald Lee's theories more, um, I'm getting pushback, Ed, on this from accountants. And they just don't see it. And, you know, you, you say, okay, I want you to read these books and get back to me. And, of course, they never do. But it's like, you know, hey, look you know, understanding has, has deepened on this life has moved on. So I think the reflections of a recovering cost accountant would be an interesting show. All right. Then I'm going to throw one more out there and then I'll ask you to throw one out there. And that is organizational change management. We did do a show on change requests and the change order process. And, but we haven't really done a show on change management inside an organization. So we'll throw out there organizational change, le le leading through change and, and making sure the change effectuates inside an organization. Wow. Is that, is that a great topic? Um, yeah, I, I would kind of second that. I would second that, Ed. So, but folks, if you have an idea, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com or if you're on our Facebook uh, group leave us a post there hopefully on the weekend so we can get this on the on the boards for our show next week otherwise ed and i will just pick something and uh no matter what it is it'll be good so ed great uh we're at the end of it and i'll see you in 167 hours This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. We'll figure out what to do by then. And check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.